Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and I have been annoying you in every intro for months now to support my Patreon, and I'm not going to stop until you do. Uh, that means you, listener, right now. So go to the description of this chat and click the link and drop a few dollars my way to help me keep this podcast running. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. This chat is with Jim Capobianco, best known for storyboarding on movies like The Lion King, Finding Nemo, and Up, as well as his writing credits on Ratatouille, and most recently, the movie which he wrote, produced, and directed in stop motion and 2D called The Inventor. In our chat, he shares the 14-year journey he took from finishing an independent short film to receiving millions in funding to produce it as a full-length feature. He also shares how hard it was to pitch, what it took to get funding, and the full experience of what it was like producing the feature in such a short amount of time, especially in stop motion. And of course, the inventor is playing in select theaters right now, so make sure you check out your local theater to see if it's playing. Now before we jump in, this episode is sponsored by Hue, makers of colorful plug-and-play cameras for learning, work, and play. Originally designed for teachers, Hue cameras can also be used for creative activities such as capturing hand-drawn pencil tests and shooting behind-the-scenes footage, time-lapse videos, and of course, stop-motion animation. Their cameras have flexible, posable necks, manual focus controls, and they're compatible with Dragon Frame, OBS, Twitch, Zoom, and many other camera apps. Visit HueHD.com to learn more and follow at Hue Cameras on social media for news, fun, and giveaways. And of course, as always, get 10% off any Hue product from HueHD.com with code 10TerryAIP. And now without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Jim. How's it going? Good, Terry. How are you? Glad to be here. Great. I'm I'm pretty good myself. Uh, you know, I want to chat all about your film, The Inventor, which just came out. But before we do, can you just give a little bit of an overview for people who don't know or haven't seen it? Just give me a little a little a little pitch for it. Oh, a pitch for the inventor. Well, well I was like, just, you know, <laughs> people who haven't seen it or heard about it. What's it about? You know, like, why should they care? uh well one reason they should care it's an independent animated movie made out of the usa which is pretty rare so i think that's one reason to go see it um but it's about leonardo da vinci when he moves to france it's made with stop motion and drawn animation um when he gets to france he meets marguerite the sister of the king so he goes there to work with the king. Um, and then he learns, they sort of bond as, cause she's the only one who kind of is curious like he is and, and can see um, what he's talking about. And uh, it kind of reflects on an idea I had about Leonardo where he would be kind of the smartest guy in the room, but the loneliest person in the room because he, he would, talk about flying machines and all these things but he or he would think about them but he would have nobody to tell them to because they would think he's a crazy man uh back in the middle ages and renaissance so uh marguerite though was a character who could see that and she's based on the real marguerite de nevers who was a sort of known as the mother of the renaissance in france or first woman of the renaissance so um he meets her and they he she kind of helps him and his uh kind of quest 
in the film is to find out what life is all about and to kind of use this metaphor for the soul that he's trying to find the secret to the soul wow. and um and so that's the story <laughs> or in a nutshell i mean uh yeah i think i think that's great i'm just wondering um who who specifically did you make this for you know every every film wants to have a target audience and like for for instance yeah. like I'm already enamored because I love stop motion. So you got me there. But like, you know, is this a kid's film? Is this an adult film? Is this is this a stop motion lover's film? Well, I think it's a film for the whole family. It's for everybody. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, you don't have any cr like crude adult humor in there or like, you know, it's a it's a family friendly. Definitely not. And yeah, yeah it's definitely not. Uh yeah a film like that it's it's definitely a family friendly film i think okay so let's dial it back a bit because you, you said something interesting which is you said it's an independent film that came out of the u.s and most independent films are out of europe because they have tons of grants and 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 stuff there so uh, you know you have already an illustrious career you've worked on tons of movies a storyboard uh animation writer direct, et etc cetera, etc cetera. at what point did you say uh i want to make my own independent film like where where did that come from because every most artists I talk to want to make a feature film they have an idea it's a dream but of course in this you know how the industry is set up it's it's nearly impossible so as somebody who's had this idea and vision and now completed it what what gave you the guts to say I'm going to do this and I'm actually going to figure it out to do it at what point did you say that to yourself well I had made the short film called Leonardo uh, that I finished in 2009 and that was all done independently but it it's you know more normal that somebody could make a short because it's not as you know biting off so much um and you know after I finished that I thought there was more and that took 10 years to do because I I animated most of it on my own and did it after hours and weekends and stuff so and I never thought that would get finished. So, oh, 10 years is a long time. <laughs> yeah. Halfway through, I was like, what am I doing? Um, and I'd find all these little tricks to like keep myself motivated and stuff. But um, then. Wait, I, I want to know one of these tricks to keep yourself motivated because you 10 years know is a trick? long time of weekends and evenings. Well, one thing I realized is if I did a drawing a day, eventually I'd finish it. <laughs> I mean, fair. 365 drawings a year. <laughs> That's a that's a couple of minutes. Well, seconds. you never would do just one drawing. That's what would happen. But it was mentality. You know, I would start sit down and do, okay, I could do one drawing. And then it was, I'd end up doing 25 drawings or 100. So it, it kind of snowballed like that. But the mentality of going, well, if I just sat down and did one drawing a day, then I would finish. Um, Unless so you get to that, buy a bus I would or also. <laughs> The other thing I would do is I would challenge myself. I would know I'd had a like a like a couple days off from work, like a you know holiday, right? A Monday off, or I'd have a week off, and I'd go, okay, this week I'm gonna finish this part. We just take a little bit. I'm gonna finish that, and then I I wouldn't make it too big, so I would finish that, and then I would have more time, and I'd either could stop or I take a little more and do a little more. So it was really finding like these minuscule chunks to do. And then every time you finish them, 
you had a victory and you you feel excited and you're like whoa i got that done and then it just inspires you to do the next part so that was kind of how i got myself through that so i don't know that mentality probably helped with the feature too um so then I, i showed the film around i was at a film festival and this mother comes up to me with her child and she says oh we loved your film your short and it was uh entertaining but also kind of educational and it's a nice introduction to leonardo da vinci um and then i she asked me well, are there other films like that out there and i couldn't think of another animated film that did that and so i said i don't know i don't think so and then <laughs> i thought well maybe i can make that so it, it sort of grew from that kind of idea that like kind of keep going with this character. And as I said earlier, I really saw him as like, well, I kind of saw him like, how could I tell the human side of Leonardo da Vinci and not just this genius that we put up on, on pedestals and, uh, you know, and and feel like we can't even touch, you know, it's like he, every time you hear about him, he's like, was interested in something else. And he was great at this. He was great at that. And you can go, well, how can I be that way? But if you learn about him as a person, you start to learn how he thought of himself like uh, he never finished things, that he uh, was kind of a failure in his own mind because a lot of his things failed, like didn't work out. Like The Last Supper was a uh, kind of botched it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it started to deteriorate in his own lifetime because of the way he painted it. He painted it in this like new way painting things and not in a fresco which was typical because you'd have to paint that very fast and he hated working fast so um it started to deteriorate because it was done in a new way so he knew he would have known it started falling apart so his whole thing was like i i I failed and then there was other things he never completed he had bosses, he had to have a, you know, he had to find a patron. So he had to find a way to make money. He had apprentices that gave him, you know, or drove him crazy. So there were things that are very human that I thought would be interesting to explore instead of the genius. So this all led to the feature. And I don't know, I just started out, I wanted to tell, write a feature and, and I don't know, you get an idea and you can't let it go. And then it just falls for me and it starts to manifest itself in this thing and i don't know maybe at one point i thought i could sell it to a pixar or somebody but i mean i developed it from the start to be stop motion and and drawn animation so you wrote Uh you wrote the whole script for the the feature film first that was like so 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 you you already had in your mind had this i have this endurance quality where i can stick through something (laughs) because i've been doing this for 10 years then you get a little bit of motivation from this woman and her her kid, and which I think is amazing. And then you say, uh, "I feel like I'm onto something here. I'm really enjoying learning about Leonardo and and like all of his life and and mm-hmm. his story isn't really told this way." Mm-hmm. And then you write you write a you write a script. And how long does that take you? Because you're working on other things in the meantime. And like yeah, I was still Pixar. I was cool doing a bunch of other things. Thing in itself. How long does it take to write a script? Well, did it take you to write the script? Well, um, 
I don't know exactly. I mean, it took, it was a process. So I just started working on it and um, took a stab at it. My thing with script writing, I try to like get it down really fast, like just sort of vomit it out. So, and I, and I know it's going to have, I have to go back in and rework it, but it's like just trying to um, attack it in a way and just keep working at it until it, it's out there. And then I go back in and rewrite it and rework it and stuff. So it's a long process for me. Um, it's always been my own personal process. Um, even Ratatouille, when I was working with Jan and we wrote the first draft, there was no pressure on us because we were so far down the queue for movies. I knew it was going to, we wouldn't release the film I knew for like five years or so. So it wasn't a rush then either. So, um, and that was different because I was working with another guy writing it with another director. So, um, uh, I don't know. It just takes time. I mean, I, I can't really put a number on it. I don't know. It just was a process of writing and kind of adjusting. And I would write a treatment first. The first thing I write is a treatment. So the first thing I wrote about the film was a treatment and then I'd rewrite the treatment and rework it as I developed it. Gotcha. And then, then storyboarding it, I'd start drawing it and storyboarding it. And that filters back into the writing. Cause to me, storyboarding is writing is writing visually and uh, in lot in feature animation. And then you go back to the writing and words and you go back to drawing and back it, it's back and forth. And so when you work with a writer, my experience working with writers on the features is it always worked the best when a writer understood that process. If they didn't, and it was all about their writing, then they usually got fired. <laughs> um, and it didn't work out. It was the only the best writers I worked with in, in on the films I've worked on have been like, they really get it. And they're okay. And they're open to the input of the storyboard artists and and collaborating with the storyboard artists so um, we're also doing this kind of on evenings and weekends type of thing writing and storyboarding and and all this stuff i'm wondering oh, my, on the inventor yeah yeah for sure yeah, Just, i'm wondering at what point did you start investing in other people because you know writing and storyboarding a feature film that's a huge huge undertaking and you I'm, I'm, I mean, you knew a lot of people who worked in the industry at that point, too, and I'm sure you were talking about it and I knew about it. So at what point were you confident enough to say, like, I think I'm onto something and I'm willing to start investing my own personal money? Or like you mentioned, you were thinking of selling it to Pixar. Did you start pitching it around and trying to get other people to invest in it before you built a team? No, I mean, I just threw that out there as maybe when I was first thinking about it like you were asking like why did you pursue it i don't know i guess as an artist as far as pursuing it i i don't know you just do it <laughs> it's like it's in you i think it's when see i don't know if this is true from my own point of view is i think when people start thinking about the end game they don't doesn't work out really I think you need to just think about the now, like, what am I doing? I need to create it. It's just like, I can't help it. <laughs> I 
I need to just work on it. And I tend to work on a lot of things at the same time. So I think I'm sure while I was working on the inventor, I had some other projects I, I sort of started to work on too. And then the inventor took on its own life. And for the longest time it was called Leo and the King. So in that period, when I was first starting it with, it was called Leo and the King, but I would just keep work on it and I would shift to something else. I'd work on that and I'd go back and forth and, and it just started this life of its own as it, it just stated and became more of a being. And then at some point, I don't know, I, I get to a point where I'm like, you know, it'd be great to have some visuals and then I'll bring on like hire or I'll ask somebody, Hey, could you do some drawings for me? And sometimes they'll be like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then sometimes you're like, but you have to pay me and then you're like, okay, well, what's your rate? And then you get the rate. And then if you can, you pay them. Sometimes they'd be like, yeah, just do it. You know, and they, you don't have to pay them. They're just like helping you out. So I would just juggle that as I went along and, and like sort of attract people to the project and tell them about it. I think people were always intrigued by it. Cause it always had this sort of on the side independent aspect to it. Um, so I, mean, I think that makes it sense. It sounds like a very organic process overall. Very organic. At what point did you say, like, at what point was it at a place where you started to actually like look for serious funding? Because I know you started a Kickstarter. I know you have, you know, there's producers involved or production companies. What would happen was as I was developing it within a couple of years, um, kind of around 2011, I guess, 2012, I ran into this guy. Um, why well, I, I had this idea to do a game too. Actually, I'm still working on this game, which is even longer now than the feature um, about Leonardo. I wanted to do this game. Uh, known as the Leonardo guy. <laughs> I know my daughter calls it the LCU, the Leonardo. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, no, my next project has to be something not Leonardo. Um, yeah, so I had this idea for a game and actually I was thinking of doing a Kickstarter for this game. And then, um, so I got connected to this guy, Robert Ripberger, and, uh, he's a young, he still is young, um, younger than me, uh, just go getter sort of producer type director. He also directs his own films. Um, and I got put in touch with him for the game to help do the Kickstarter. And, I, and at that point, I think he might've dabbled in some documentaries and stuff, but he was very like uh, in the, I don't know. He was sort of in this like zeitgeist of trying to find money. So I, I just said to him, Hey, I'm building, you know, I told him about the project and the game. And then I told him about the feature and stuff. And he was like, Oh, well maybe I can help you find money for the feature. And I was like, okay, I don't know how to do that. So if you think you can do it, that's fine. <laughs> so he started um, going around. He'd have me come to meetings, go down to LA, uh, meet different people. We had so many different dead ends. Um, we uh, Through my connections, we hooked up with a producer in uh, Italy for a while. He was helping to try to get us set up that wasn't going anywhere because the Italians don't really want to think that Leonardo moved to France. So they kept telling me to, could it be a younger Leonardo? Could it be a, um, 
different, you know, like a different period. And I was like, no, this is the story. And so, and I wasn't really ready to like shift everything over to a whole nother story about him and everything. So, I mean, at one point we did start to develop it into a TV show, which was a totally different sort of storyline. But, um, but again, nothing ever landed. So we even tried Ireland for a while. I you know the cartoons saloon guys really well. They're good friends. Even when I was showing Leonardo around, that's kind of when we met. Um, when I was finishing it and they were finishing Kells. And then we started touring around together. We were in the same circuit together. Because once you make a film and you go into the festival circuit, you kind of start seeing the same people because you're all kind of at, you know. So you had, you had developed like a pitch package and you were talking to studios that made animation, it sounds like. No, no not really. <laughs> you were just walking into, I don't know. Well, like when you well, say, you know, I tried, I tried Italy. What does that mean exactly? You tried. Well, we did. I guess we did have kind of a pitch. We had like a Bible. We had a, um, you know, a deck of stuff like images and, and everything and a blurb about the film. And, um, and at that point I probably, I had a script that I could give people. Um, so yeah, I mean, we were pitching to executives and different people who could give us money. Um, not many studios really. Um, even cartoon saloon it wasn't like i was pitching it to them for them to make it because it was a stop motion film i mean i would share stuff with them and if they were suddenly like hey we'll do it then so, so what's an example of like an executive then you said you were pitching to executives uh all sorts of money whoever had money we were just like reaching out to and um what does that mean? <laughs> there's a lot of people out there with money well, of course uh, my neighbor has money i'm sure but like you pitch him your phone. I Maybe guess that, is that, but that, that's what you mean. Just you were pitching to like anybody who would hear it type of thing. Kinda, yeah. Okay. I mean, Robert would be looking around. He'd go, "Hey, here's a guy who's got some money, and they're connected to, you know, when we're pitching to L.A., they were connected to different Hollywood sources and loan. There's a lot of people who loan you money, like for films, because they, they have no skin in it in the sense of." Well, their loan will get paid first, so they get in number one. And so if the film does work out and it makes some money, then they get money back. And then they can charge you interest on it. So this is sort of the game out there. You know, it's oh, not it's like a fun game to play. <laughs> nobody's like going, not in my experience, they're just going, hey, we love your film. Here's all this money for you well, of to just not. do well, it. A feature, I mean, you know, I've read the Wikipedia article that says you, you ended up with a budget of $10 million. I don't know how much, how true that is, but, you know, you're looking for a lot of money to produce a feature film and fully stop motion and, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, so how did you eventually convince some people with money enough that they could, they wanted to give you millions of dollars to make this independent film? Um. Well, like I said, it, nobody is like, they're not just giving you the money. Well, of course not. But people are, <laughs> you know, people make business decisions with their money. You know, they could give you a loan or you the money or they could give a different project money or just keep their money and put it in the bank. You know, like why? Why did they say like, you know, Jim's Jim has a winning idea here. I'm going to trust him enough 
to and this project pays off and I'm going to give him give him this money like <laughs> it um you know a lot of it rode on how much experience I had in yeah working so, they, so like, you were part of the package deal you're like you know, of course I, yeah of course, course. I think no matter what when you're looking to finance something you know the loan lenders the people investors are going to look at who who is asking for the money and what's their background who yeah. like, can they finish the thing they're asking to do and i think because i had such a career at that time i mean i'd been doing what i've been doing for you know 20 20 years to 30 years through the whole thing so you know, and then working on, you know, Ratatouille helped a lot in the Academy nomination. So that opened a lot of doors, especially in Europe. Europe really loves Ratatouille a lot. There's a real love for that film there. And um, so that would like, open. I mean, I'd, there was no way I would not get a meeting with somebody uh, right. because of my background and because of that nomination so like, that's ratatouille's here <laughs> schedule them in. yeah you know that helped a lot okay i mean that, that makes sense so so yeah. at what point did the kickstarter come into play kickstarter was pretty late in the game because we at that point we had met elania rose which really turned everything around so robert and i were banging against walls and not getting anywhere and um we because of my connection with cartoon saloon they kept trying to find us people to talk to and who could set up movies so um one place one guy who used to start who used to be with cartoon saloon his name's ross murray he was one of the original creators of the studio he lives in france now and he they connected us to ross and ross said well you should meet full image which is this big production company in france so Robert had a meeting with Folomage. He meets with them. Oh, he doesn't meet with them because he sets up a meeting and then they canceled on him after he had arrived in France. So like, basically they're like, no, sorry. He came for the meeting and they're like, no, sorry, we're canceling the meeting. Ross felt terrible. And he's like, oh my gosh, he flew all the way out here. And, and now <laughs> they don't have a meeting. And then he remembered there's another studio that was right nearby called Fully Scope that had just started. And Fully Scope had actually grown out of Folimage. It was owned by, Folimage was owned by two different people and then they had a breakup and one of them took part of it and the other one kept the rest. So then Elon had bought it from the second partner. So we meet Elon Rose, Robert does, and he pitches him the short and shows, or the feature idea shows in the artwork we have and Elon loved it he knew he was looking for his third stop-motion film to do and um and he just loved the project and I think you know chance to work with me and all these things so um Elon said let's go and I was always told Robert we needed to find that person who would just jump off the cliff with us so uh Elon was that guy he's like let's do this so elon then said let's go to cartoon movie which is this big event in europe where artists and and production people can pitch their feature ideas to sales agents and distributors and production companies who might be interested in it so 
but they never Americans don't pitch there. Um, you have to have a European company uh, or an entity that would is allowed to pitch at cartoon movie. So uh, because of Elon, he was like could set it up and we um, so then I was the first American to ever pitch a film at cartoon movie and uh we pitched it there and it was, went really well um uh and we picked up a sales agent from that and uh our french distributor came out of that and because of that success and people should understand this every time you have a success in doing these things it builds on itself because people will only invest in something they think will be successful so that it just kept accelerating from there so now we knew the feature was really on track to now get happen but i needed to finish the story reel so we needed money to finish that so we put out the kickstarter and that basically that money helped us finish the story animatic um that we would then you know make the film from so uh, although i reboarded it later on but <laughs> uh but it it was it really got us going so that that's when the kickstarter happened wow so it, it sounds like successful. a like a kind of a ball that just kept rolling and getting bigger and bigger yeah it was definitely like the, the snowball going down the hill and it just grew and grew at that point you and feel during time. all this because like you know you reached a lot of rejection a lot of dead ends like i've i've pitched my fair share of things and like it takes a lot of mental energy to keep keep doing and pitching the same thing over to new people and and keep that excitement going Do, like is this just part of the the process in your mind like you went from drawing a frame every day to just now i'm just going to pitch basically whenever i can and because also flying around the world is is not a cheap expense to to no. pitch a project when you don't have anything guaranteed either no <laughs> um that's why I had to keep working through all this. Supporting my yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I think you know you get it going. You just sort of can't stop. I mean, there's definitely moments where I thought it would never happen. Um, I was like, okay, you know, am I wasting my time? Am I wasting other people's yeah, time? Like, at what Probably. point do you do you say like this is this is not going anywhere, or like this is going somewhere? Because you could just keep pitching it forever also, and maybe it doesn't happen. It's true. Um, I think every time I thought it was going to fall apart, I think something new would pop up. Like, I wouldn't speak to Robert for, it would be a couple of months or more. And then he'd call me and go, hey, I got another lead to go, you know, or an interest from somebody. And, um, you know, I'm going to talk to this person or something. And then it would kind of, go oh well, maybe it will happen and then would kind of kind of push it forward a little bit or at least it felt like it was going forward so it, it it just kept happening like it just kept going so interesting that robert uh was also so adamant about this project too because he could have also just been like you know what it's been months nothing's happened i'm going to drop it and move on to something else so i think yes he very much could have um and actually i'm always very grateful he didn't um yeah yeah he could have uh, i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> you never ask. don't don't ask him <laughs> don't. Yeah, i think he always had faith in the project and that it would if we could get it made it would come out well and um yeah. 
Yeah, I guess faith in me. What would you say? I mean, it kind of sounds like, you know, the reputation you have, uh, the actual, you'd finish the script and started boarding it. Somebody who's investing from their own time to find money. It sounds like this is kind of like a recipe for Hmm. really pushing the project forward and getting into the, to the right rooms. Cause like, for instance, me, I have a whole bunch of projects that I pitch all the time and like, nobody knows who I am. And it's like, like it's a struggle sometimes to get the right meeting and then they cancel and then it's it's sure. uh so i wish i had a 20 30 year career where i was on some big movies <laughs> i could be like hey it's me guys <laughs> yeah i mean i mean i can't help that it's just what yeah 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 yeah, yeah. this is what i did and do and i lucked out in a lot of ways and that i've had a great career um, so tell me what it, it's it's like to finally produce your own because you've worked on a lot of other people's films and you know even mm-hmm. when you're writing like for Ratatouille or whatnot you're writing for uh, another studio essentially but this is your own independent I'm, I mean I'm sure you made sacrifices and changed along the way but what is it like writing for yourself? Um, well, it's it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it, it it's great. You know I. I was oh, John Sales. He's an independent American animated, uh, independent American filmmaker. John Sales. Um, he would always say, "Sometimes you want to be an architect, and sometimes you want to be a craftsman or cabinet maker." And so, I think it's. I, I love that because working at a a studio like Pixar and stuff, I can be. The craftsman i could do really well at my craft i could build nice cabinetry and stuff but when you get to be the architect then you know that's you get to design the house you get to do all that which is awesome but you also have the responsibility of designing the house and if it falls down that's your fault because you designed it wrong so with being a craftsperson, it doesn't all lay on your shoulders. You're just helping other people make the house, right? So, but you want to do your best work. So to me, they're both beneficial, but yes, I mean, to develop the film and to make it, and and it really, because it was independent and the way we set it up and made in Europe, I had complete creative control too, which was really unheard of. So, um you know, and but I mean, it was a very low budget and um, we had a time constraint. The film was also bonded, which meant if I didn't meet the budget and I didn't get it done on time, the film would have been taken away from me and handed to somebody else or something. So, which is what happened to Richard Williams. If people know about Richard Williams' story where he was making Thief and the Cobbler. Um, so you know, there's risks in it and it, it's, and you have to be able then as a director run the team in a way, especially for a low budget that they're all happy to do it and not right. hating you. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, so there's a, is a lot more anxiety in doing that. Yeah. How did you manage, you know, you said creative freedom on one hand and on the other hand, it sounds like there's so many constraints that you have to scramble and take a lot of sacrifices with mm. the creative freedom. So how did, how did you manage that? I mean, like you basically been handed the keys to make your own thing, but then the, the like lock has like a time bomb on it that you have to maybe change things how you wouldn't have done them in the first place. 
Well, for me, even when I did the short film, I had, when I developed that, I was thinking, okay, how can I make this on my own? And so I would look at it and go, okay, with that, I was like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna do it like Leonardo da Vinci and just have it line drawing and not color it in. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna leave the line drawings rough. I'm not gonna clean them up. I mean, it looks like- so I would find these like ways that would, when you, when you yeah, through the style, I would go, okay, how do I make it look right? But yet it's gonna take less time and it'll be cheaper to do. So even with a feature, I looked at it that way as well. I was like, I know I'm going to have a low budget. What do I like that I could fit into this kind of budget? And so I would look at things like UPA cartoons, look at the Rankin and Bass stuff, uh, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all that. I'm going to ask you about a Rankin and Bass influence because there's some scenes that I've seen that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I saw everybody, every um, newspaper article, everything's been, oh, it's Rankin and Bass and stuff. So, um but it's true. I love that stuff. And I looked at it and I'm like, okay, that's, you know, their animation is like, um, it's not great, Very but it's charming. Yeah, it's super charming. So I was like, I always would say the film's going to have the animation that's like between Rankin and Bass and Laika, but kind of lean in the Rankin and Bass area, but it would be in the middle. Um, so so i would look at it that way so as we developed the film i would keep thinking in those terms and then as i learned about stop motion i would in my production um line producer cat alley ocean who goes back to nightmare before christmas and only has done stop motion and in, in managing him managing these films she did a whole what we called the big board and it was like 10 weeks of the film and i would look at it as we developed and I would go, okay, this shot coming up, which I had learned from my co-director, Pierre-Luc Grandjean, could showed me like what's hard to do, what's easier to do, you know, in, in uh, stop motion. So I would see what's coming down the line and go, okay, that's going to be more difficult. And then I would rethink the shots as we went along to go, well, what would be an interesting way to do this? That would be more economical to do and maybe quicker. So I would rethink things on the go. And I think it was my story training, storyboarding that I could do that. Interesting. So I was constantly through the production, I was always had in my mind, because I was also one of the producers. So it's like I had in my mind, okay, here's the budget, here's the time frame, here's what can be done. I'm gonna work within that. And I used to uh, like Orson Welles said the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. So I would use the limitations to my advantage. And I think that's a great lesson for anybody out there. It's just know the box you're working in and then use it to your strengths, like use it as a strength instead of a, oh, as a woe is me, I can't do everything I wanted to do. Yeah. So. Um, I'm wondering, so you're mainly a 2D. Would I have wanted more money? Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> It would have been helpful, but not a lot of money, actually. If I had another, if we had another like 5 million or 10 million would have been great. I don't know what to say to that. Yes. Uh, um, I didn't need 100 million. Yeah, why not? Your next film, you, you know, you went from I don't a want 100 short million. film to a feature yeah. film. Next, go from a 10 million budget to a 100 million budget. What's stopping you? No, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't want 100 million. Oh, you so, don't want 100 million. You want to be limited. Okay. Uh, 
so you're mainly 2D, 3D guy. It's story uh, driven. It's kind of, it's interesting for me that you uh, conceptualize a stop motion film, even when your short was in 2D. Mm -hmm. um, why did you envision this all in stop motion? Part of it again was like a limitation because when I was starting to think about the feature, do a feature, I didn't want to do it in CG animation. I didn't think that fit a Leonardo da Vinci film. Plus my loves are 2D drawn animation. That's why I got into animation is I wanted to do drawn animation, Bugs Bunny cartoons and Disney card, Disney films and stuff. And then I got into it and then I realized, oh wait, nobody's making Bugs Bunny cartoons anymore and nobody's making, um, and the Disney features would start to go away done in drawn animation. So I, I was like, well, I would do it in 2D animation because of the short, but at that point, Disney was getting rid of the desks and switching to CG. Um, drawn animation was going away. So I was like, well, but stop motion animation was having this resurgence. Leica existed at that point. It just, Coraline, I think, had just come out. Wes Anderson is making Mr. Fox. Uh, the first know. person to ever say, <laughs> say this point of view. <laughs> what? Where stop motion was, was seeing a boom. So you're like, I'm going to do it in stop motion because 2D is going away. If you talk to stop motion animators who were around during the same time, they're like, it's all going away. We're trying <laughs> to find CG jobs. <laughs> never goes away. It always has this like. Oh, I know. I know. I know. It's it's such um, a. A lot of films, it kind of fades a little bit and comes back. So when you think of the nightmare, it's always kind of showing yeah, up. Fair, fair. I was going to ask, I, I guess, uh, well, Kat Alyoshin had produced only stop motion before, but um, did you have like a stop motion consultant in the initial stage of the project? Because I, I also yeah. pitched stop motion shows and things to the studios and executives. And their first question is, stop, we've never done stop motion before. It's It seems super expensive. Like, well, I guess I guess the partner that you found had done stop motion before, so they knew. But did you also reach this wall of people saying we don't know and it must be too expensive? It's not our expertise when you're searching for funding. Uh, probably, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I my thing is with when you pitch, basically people read a script or and you have some visuals, and the visuals are art. It's not like a puppet we made. And I mean, eventually we made a um, a teaser. In 2016, after I left Pixar, we made a teaser to show basically because I kept getting this reaction of like, well, what's it going to look like? What do you mean stop motion? Uh, what is the dissect? Because there's dissection in it, Leonardo dissecting cadavers. What does that look like? Is it going to be super gross? And how is this for kids and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, let's make a teaser and show exactly what the film will look like. So I paid for it all out of pocket brought a cinematographer, Peter Sorg, who worked on, he would eventually, well, he worked on Frank and Weenie and eventually we work on Wendell and Wild. He'd been around a long time. Cat knew him. So we brought him over from England and Tim Hiddle animated it, who I knew from Pixar. And he, we set up in his garage and uh, we made this little teaser and it put 2D animation in it as well. And we showed exactly kind of how the film would be. 
that had became really instrumental in like, you know, as soon as we had that, we could show it around. And then especially with Elon and getting that all going, we need, you need a teaser or trailer to show a cartoon movie. So we already had that. So like all of it fell into place. But prior to that, no, I wrote it kind of with stop motion in mind, but I didn't really know stop motion. So I just wrote it as a story. And um, I figured eventually I would adjust it and, and rework it to work for stop motion, maybe use previs to figure out camera moves or something um, or sets, how to build the sets. But I didn't know. I was like, I'm just going to write this and then someone else down the line will know. And then, you know, and I'll ask them a lot of questions and involve them and listen to them and not be like, pretend I know anything and, uh, you know, make it that way. So no, it was just develop like I would develop anything. So I think you do need, so I say that, but I do think you need to have a bit in your mind, the way you make it in the end. I think that helps the writing, at least for me, because so I can visualize you, it more that way, I think. Yeah. So will you work on another stop motion project now that you've done one? Would I yeah. now that I've done one? Yeah, I think Did so. Did you animate anything cool. yourself? Did you get in there? What? Did you get in there and animate anything yourself? Oh, would I? No, you know, on the teaser, on the trailer I mentioned, uh, I added a shot while we were doing it, and I felt bad having the animate. We had two animators on, Tim Hiddle and another guy, um, Justin Cohn. And I felt bad asking them to do an extra shot because we were, they were getting paid very little. Like, basically, we paid everybody $1,000 each. Like, so every artist got a thousand dollars um so I, I was like why well, I, I don't want to ask so i animated it i was like i'll animate it and i animated it and showed them showed tim or something and they were like okay jim we'll reanimate this <laughs> um, well you got you got the shot out of them you just have to show them what you could do <laughs> it was terrible um so and then on the feature I, I actually, I didn't feel confident that I could do a, a shot. So I, I just never asked to do one. <laughs> That's fine. Um, and it, I had too much to do anyway. That would have been too hard. Even my directing animator, Kim Kugelary, she is an amazing animator. She's basically Wes Anderson's go-to. So there's, I don't know if you've seen Asteroid City, but in it, there's an animated uh, um, alien. alien in it, right? So during our production, uh, Wes Anderson calls her up and says, Hey, I have this thing I need you to animate. So they set up in her house in France, a little studio, like in her garage or something, um, to shoot this one or a couple of shots she did for the film. So she animated all of it on her own in her house while she was making the inventor. You're like, hey, she's like, Hey, I have to, I have to, I have to go home now. Wes Anderson's calling me. <laughs> it was again, it was after hours and on the weekends, uh, cat was really worried because she felt Kim would burn herself out. And actually yeah, she ended up motion is super, uh, <laughs> uh, taxing on your brain and body. Interesting. So, so your role, uh, what before was writer, uh, story artist, picture then it devolved into <laughs> director writer producer like all three at once yeah that sounds like a lot of work and crazy <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Well, I mean, I was a producer in the sense I put money into it to begin with and organized it up and, uh, you know, but Robert did the heavy lifting and like finding money and, and stuff. So how big was the, the overall team when it, when you were in full production? Uh, I think overall, I mean, Kat would have a better answer. I mean, we had eight animators okay. always, like somebody would leave and we'd bring somebody else in. Um, and as but as the but probably about a uh, less than a hundred maybe, I mean if you include everybody like storyboard artists and um, the comp guys later worked from in the box and stuff. I would say it's probably over a hundred fifty or maybe closer to two hundred people ultimately. You know who touched the film. How do you how do you feel as uh, you know looking back and you started this just trying to get one frame done a day to now you have a hundred people working on the thing that you envisioned how did and now it's finished how how does that feel <laughs> oh it's amazing it's un i don't know it's it's un unbelievable i was actually well, I was at the premiere in los angeles and for a moment i'm just standing there going wow all these people are here because of this thing i came up with and that's like I mean, that's pretty overwhelming. That's like unbelievable. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. So so uh, what's next for you now that, you know, it, I mean, it's just finished. You're still doing the PR circuit, et cetera. What's, what's, on, what's coming up for you? I mean, are you looking towards your next big project? Does this open new doors for you in terms of writing, directing, or is Pixar calling you back to make the next Ratatouille 2? Um, well, nobody's knocking on my door yet. Uh, I think because the film just got out there. Probably uh, relieved. I <laughs> am <laughs> uh, doing a lot of PR and I will continue to do it. Uh, so we now like released in the US and there's still work to do. Um, we'll have a video on video release, video on demand, VOD, uh, probably around November. And so I think there'll be pr build up for that um i mean i've had to do a lot of the pr pretty much all of it because we don't have our actors to do anything um because of the sag strike we haven't been able to um utilize the actors and all that so that was kind of a unexpected wrinkle in something it took 12 years to make so um but if SAG, they finally resolve it, which the Writers Guild sounds like they're finally resolving it on their end, hopefully that, then we can bring in the actors to promote the film more, which would be great. So yeah, we'll have the video on demand coming up and then uh, Europe is coming too in the rest of the world. So that'll be kind of the end of the year or the beginning of next year. And except for Canada, if we have to sell Canada still, um, as a distribution, you know, a distributor has to pick it up. So, yeah, there's a few territories we haven't sold yet. So hopefully that. Are you involved in those meetings or is that completely handed over to the production company that invested in this at this point? Uh, selling in territories, that's kind of in Robert's domain and gotcha. he kind of keeps dibs on that, dibs on that. But um, so Robert, um, this is what he does, I guess, like he attaches himself to projects and then sees them through he well i guess in a way he does but i mean he has his own projects he's been doing i think while we were making this i don't know how many films he directed oh my god <laughs> um, okay. 
so he's a director too and he's a producer he just opened a um uh sound stages in north carolina near raleigh and um and he you know and so he's sort of creating his own like production world universe the ripburger universe so um of production so he and i guess it's the largest sound stages in north carolina so um raleigh right north carolina or am i getting this cut out i don't know my u.s geography very well so yeah um, you can't raleigh. i can't help you there <laughs> You know, everybody will write back and go on this. But basically you're you're gonna be really exciting for Oh sorry. No. I was I was gonna you're basically eating and sleeping the inventor for the next for the rest of the year, basically. Yes, yeah. I mean I'm definitely I my radar is up to do some more stuff. I mean I have to again, making your own independent film, you don't really make any money while you're making it so a living uh i mean thankfully the only way i could really do it is my wife uh kim collins she's a producer at pixar and um so like well in the u.s you know we have to have our by pay for our own health care and all that stuff or we have our bosses you know our jobs so so she had the health care and all that and if if she was an independent a contractor and I was an independent contractor. I don't think I would have been able to make the movie because I wouldn't have been able to afford it that way. So, and and like you know, and then my salary making it was very minimal. So, and a lot of people who worked on it didn't really bring in a lot of money. So it was a lot of people who sacrificed a lot to make the film. Like I mean, composer Alex Mandel didn't get paid what he's worth, and um, but made an amazing composition and people we brought on that he brought on too who helped out um loved the project enough that they deferred salaries and did things so i mean that's why i was like if we could add another 10 million or 5 million or something it would have been a lot nicer because we would probably made the same movie but everybody would have got paid so i mean i've heard this i've heard this from quite a few artists who end up producing and directing something independently. It's basically like everybody is sacrificing. And then the person whose idea is it is basically taking a big, a big hit out of their, out of their year or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, how, how can that change? <laughs> uh, like this. I mean, <laughs> I think indie filmmaking has always been. It's for the love of it and not for the. the... Tough. I mean, I mean, it's mainly live action indies because, you know, if you had a $6 million budget, maybe for live action, that's a high, that used to be a bigger budget for like little indies, like a Jim Jarmusch film or something. <laughs> um, so, but I think indie filmmaking, I don't know how healthy it is anymore. I mean, when I was getting into the business, there was Miramax and there was, um, like Fox Searchlight, all the uh, yeah, yeah, companies yeah. had a small indie group, but now that's all been consumed into, they're all making big, big films now. I don't know how much indie, and the indie stuff, I guess will go to streaming mostly. It doesn't really, it's not really the way it was. So, and then animation is even more rare. I mean, that's, I mean, I would like look at, there was indie, like Bill Plimpton's work from out of New York, he would make a few features, 
Um, and I would look at that and go, wow, you know, he did it. How do you, how do I, how could I do something like that just on my own and make a indie feature? Um, you know, and there's been a few others usually coming out of New York, actually. Um, so would you, would you do this again? I mean, you've learned, uh, I'm sure you've learned a ton through this whole process and, you know, uh, maybe have changed views about animation and projects like this. Would you, would you go through this again with an, if say you, say you come up with a new short film, you're working every day, you're doing one frame a night. No, I'll never, I wouldn't live that long. <laughs> Wait, but okay, so it's, it's real life. <laughs> would you would you create an independently uh, independent film over again, or now that you've had a taste, are you going to stick to being the cabinet maker? <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind doing some cabinetry. That'd be good. Pays better. <laughs> okay, well, um, your bank account probably won't mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, I think for sure it would be interesting to do another one. I don't think I'd do it the same way because <laughs> again, it takes too long um, to assemble it this way. So I would hope it would happen faster. Um, I don't mind making a film for a lower budget. So I, I, I feel like I can work within those parameters. Um, I would, I mean, I think to do that though, you'd have to have a producer that's amenable to the creative being having a lot of control so um that way you can actually get it done in that way um i think if if you have too many cooks mucking it up then it it, it may actually they even though they'll want it to be cheaper it won't <laughs> so um so I, I i would i think but i don't know what that avenue is really i'd have to find that person with a lot of money to go here Hey, make it. If you and I don't know if that exists. Send them my way too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, fast forward a bit. You know, all the press and everything. The the territories. Uh, the inventor is is like a finished project at this point. What do mm -hmm. you aspire to get back into? Because you know you've you've worn a lot of hats over your career. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, maybe writing is the one that has been most interwoven throughout are you wanting to get back into writing again or sure. you know, is yeah i've written i have another script i have i have treatments that i want to turn into scripts so i'm definitely gonna go and write them up and um you know in this intention to sell them to studios yeah sure i mean if somebody's coming to me and going you know what do you have i mean I could share these with them and see what happens. So um, a lot, a couple of them are very like, it's interesting because they're in the inventor vein of like, I don't know that anybody would actually make this film, <laughs> like a big Hollywood studio, like uh, Disney or Pixar or somebody. So um, there are still in this quirky, weird realm. I mean, when you see the inventor, it doesn't really play like a, it doesn't like a Hollywood animated movie. It's, and I mean that in the best sense of the word, of the sense of like, I think it's a sh good film. It's just not, it fits into the indie mold. Yeah. <laughs> of what yeah. you might think of as an indie and indie feature, even. Um, and I like live action feature. So, um, 
mean, these other ideas I have are like pushing against the norm. So I don't know if the, if I want to make it the way I would want to make it. I don't know how well they would be accepted. And if they are, then I'm, they might be turned into the normal fare we get from Hollywood. So makes sense. Makes sense. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the road is. So, I mean, I would like to write more. I mean, if somebody wanted to bring me on as a punch up writer or to work on their scripts or something, that's fine too. Carpentry is good. Um, my dad was a carpenter, so I can I use that illusion. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm open to everything right now. I'm working on a children's book, uh, chapter book, which is really fun and different to write. Um, you know, script has to all be in present tense and this is in the past, past perfect or something. So, um, that's really interesting because I have to keep reminding myself to write that way. Um, and, uh, and it's different because I have all this like space to just explore, um, in the writing. Uh, and that's, that's been fun to do. So that, that right now is maybe like where I'll focus a lot of the energy because I want to get that done. It's also been a project. I've been, been writing that since 2014. So, uh, to get that out here, oh, it'll be 10 years next year. So I mean, it, it seems <laughs> that's why like I got to finish it. I have these 10 year time frames. So <laughs> My ten but ten, another 10 years we'll find out another project from you and we'll be like oh hit the hit the 10 year mark great well um i you know I, I think this has been a super interesting chat i've wanted to know all about the inventor ever since i i chatted with cat on my podcast years ago <laughs> so, <laughs> how long so, was that uh, i've been long, i've been getting all the email updates since the kickstarter like i don't know how for every month or two months and uh i'm excited to see it so when when you make a deal with canada <laughs> <laughs> I will be the first person to see it and send Great. me an email ASAP. <laughs> you bet. Well, thanks, uh, Terry. It was really a pleasure. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share as we're wrapping up, you know, uh, chatting all about the inventor? Well, I don't, you know, it's a great project to work on. I worked with probably the most amazing team I've ever worked with. And, uh, and it's really a testament to all the, the work they put in into the film. And I would tell them, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, it was your passion project and it took 12 years to make and everything. And uh, what was you? And I'm like, no, I mean, it needed to take 12 years because I wouldn't have, we, Robert and I wouldn't have discovered Folioscope and we wouldn't have worked with this great, amazing group of people we worked with. Um, you know, if it took, you know, if the our Italian producer sold it in Italy, it would have been a different group of people and who knows how it would have came out. Yeah, and I feel like it came out really well, so um, really strong, and uh, I'm very proud of it. So that's what it needed to needed to happen. So it's okay. I'm a firm believer in things take the time they take. So that's the time they take. That's right. That's, that's so. exactly it. Well, uh, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Terry. Yeah. Thanks and and if you're listening and you want to check out the inventor film or Jim's work, you can go to his website uh, and I'll include that, the inventor film website, the trailer and uh, aerial contrivance, which you can find more about the, the film there too, all in the description of this chat. And that's our other projects. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. And that's all for now. Okay. Bye.
The music for this podcast was composed by Willem Mendo and the graphics by Luhan Wang. I encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work.